We open God's Word today to the book of 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter, beginning in the first verse. 2 Samuel 11.1, follow along if you would in your copy of God's Word or on the screen behind me. May the Spirit add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Reba. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is that not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her. And when she came, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived. And she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. This is a pot I've made a, a while back. I was still learning, and, and so maybe it doesn't look like much. I was trying to kind of make a small uh, southwest piece. And I know it doesn't look like much. It's just a, a beginning. There's still much work to do. Although it took a while for me to learn how to get even this good. It's just a little pot, but it has hope, doesn't it? Maybe with some glaze it has the hope of being useful, maybe even beautiful, a little flower in it perhaps. So it really wouldn't make any sense, would it, for me to take this hammer and just crash it, just to bust it in a lot of pieces, because there is hope. It wouldn't make any sense at all. Would you pray with me? Good and gracious Father, we come humbly into your house and humbly before your holy word and pray that you will breathe through it, that the lessons that you have put and placed in your scripture would be alive to us today, that we would see the wisdom and that we would be changed. Father, watch over us this moment so that we might be pleasing unto you and lead lives that are full of hope and joy and beauty. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever had one of those dreams? Have you ever had one of those dreams that just seems more terrible than anything you can imagine? Maybe you've tossed and you've turned all night long and, and you wake up in the morning and there's kind of that bitter taste in your mouth and the, and the sheets are, are damp from your sweat and, and, and you wake up and you open your eyes and you think, oh, thank the Lord it was only a dream. Have you ever had one of those? Anyone? I think most of us have. Thank goodness. What a relief. It was just a dream. I wonder if that's how David felt. I wonder if he had tossed and turned the entire night and struggled about the crisis that he was going through. And then he woke up and he opened his eyes and, 
and kind of in that brief moment between fully asleep and fully awake, oh, make it a dream. Let it be just a horrible, awful dream. But then he rubbed his eyes and cleared his head and came to the realization that it wasn't a dream. It was a nightmare. And it wasn't going to go away. David is in the middle of a great crisis, one of those daytime nightmares where you want to just pull the pillow over your head and the sheets up over the pillow and hope it's going to go away, but it, it wasn't. And we're left to wonder as we read about a man after God's own heart, about David who we set on a pedestal sometimes, how is it possible that he could fall so terribly? I guess it's not that hard to understand. Because we all see falls today. We know people in our community and perhaps even in our family that have experienced moral failures. We've seen the devastating results, the broken lives, the destroyed ministries, and perhaps some of us have even had to pick up the pieces. And we mumble to ourselves, oh, I wish, I wish he hadn't. Oh, I wish things had gone differently. I wish she'd made a different choice. I guess we've all experienced that too. I know because the Scripture says so. 1 Corinthians says, No temptation has overtaken you but that which is common to man. You see, we've all experienced temptation. We all know what it's like. We, we, should, we should not only know it, we should expect it. And here, listen to me now, we should be ready for it when it comes. That's why we have 2 Samuel. That's why we have the, the record of David's fall. It should be like a warning sign on the side of the road. Stay away. Danger. Toxic sin ahead. And Paul also shouts so loud, dangerous curves ahead, detour. Because it's better to take a long way around and get where you need to go. There's a better destination for you ahead. And it's so much easier to avoid the crash than to pick up the pieces. David didn't expect to end up like this with a lot of broken pieces. He didn't expect to wake up one day and, and see his life just broken in, in, in all these different shards. He woke up just like me and you every day. He didn't expect it, although he should have seen the warning signs. Look again at verse 1. Then it happened in the spring at the time when the kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabah. But David, it says, listen, but David stayed at Jerusalem. And when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around. Do you see a couple problems there? You see, it was David's responsibility as the king. He would decide if the nation was going to go into battle. And if the nation was going to go into battle, that it was his responsibility to go out and lead the soldiers. Lead them into battle. But it says what? David stayed at Jerusalem. Don't you know that the author is trying to make a point with us? And then the second thing that's rather interesting, he says that in, when the sun went down, David got up from bed. Well, there's something backwards about that, isn't there? In other words, David's laying around what? Idle all day long and then getting up and prowling around at night. And that should have been the first warning sign, the first flashing light. Caution. 
We aren't created to be idle. I recently read a, a quotation that said this, God calls men when they're busy, Satan calls them when they're idle. We've all heard it too, the expression, idle hands are the devil's workshop, playground. But David doesn't see the warning sign. Perhaps because he thought, oh, it's no big deal. I'm a man after God's own heart. I'm too big to fall. I'm personally selected by our Heavenly Father. I'm too big, too mature, too powerful. And perhaps at that moment he should have remembered the proverb 16, 18 that says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. And Paul says the same thing. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. You see, no one wakes up in the morning ready to break the pot. No one prepares for the great fall. And you're here, yet David seems to be full of arrogance and certainly idleness, and that's fertile ground for temptation. Verse 2 says this, And when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. Now I want to make it perfectly clear. I don't think up to this point that David has sinned. He's made some poor choices. He's accidentally come across a beautiful woman, Bathsheba, who's probably uh, bathing naked. He hasn't sinned yet. The first glance, even that first temptation isn't sin. Let's not confuse temptation with sin. Even Jesus was tempted, and we know that he never sinned. There's no sin in that first glance. It's the second glance that will kill you. And the warning sirens should be screaming. What should we do at such a crossroads? Paul answers it very clearly in 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. He says, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from anything that takes your eyes off Jesus. At the crossroad of temptation, run. And our Father says to you, oh, what power there is in this verse. He says that there's no temptation that's ever been created that you won't have the strength, the opportunity to run away from. There is no excuse, although our culture would want to give you all kinds of excuses. Everything seems today to be what? An addiction or genetic. It's not my fault, some would say. Oh, boys will be boys. It's just human nature. But the Scripture says... Unlike, listen now, beloved, unlike our being before our relationship with Jesus Christ, we are now the temples of the Holy Spirit. We are empowered at the crossroads of temptation to turn away. To, we have the free will to either act or to flee. And by the power of the Spirit, the Scripture says that we are to run. And that's what Paul says flee to safety, run. That's not, you know, that's, some would say, well, that's not very manly. That's just, you know what? That's just old school. You're, you're just of that age, Pastor Cal. You just want to say no to everybody. Just no. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying this is what the scriptures challenge us, empower us to do. 
When we are at the temptations, when we're at the crossroad of temptation, we are to run. That's not old-fashioned. That's just wisdom. And yet David seems to linger. He gazes upon her. He should have run. He should have sent a message down to her telling her to cover herself up. Or as we say in the South, cover your naked self up. Naked. That's what we say in the South, isn't it? Naked. Girl was naked. Cover your naked self up, girl. But he doesn't do that. Of course, the scriptures also say that women aren't to dress provocatively. And she doesn't seem to be dressed at all. If I could just chase a rabbit for a minute, I don't think people, not too many pastors this day are probably talking about it. And I'm not old-fashioned. I just, I just believe what the scriptures say. Women aren't to dress provocatively. And in our culture, it seems to be wide open. You can wear anything you want. I've even heard women say, well, it's not about attracting men. I just like to dress like this. If I could just say, I don't believe you. And you need to be careful what bait you're using because you're going to catch whatever bait you're putting out there. And if you're trying to catch a man that is just visual, that's just based on how you look, then that's exactly what you're going to get right up into the point where looks change. And beloved, all you young women out there, you deserve better than that. You want more than that. All of us, men and women, are to be beautiful from the inside out. And you are. I want you to know it. The Scripture says that men, women are not to dress provocatively, and men are to be their protectors. He, he, David should have been his, that woman's defender and her protector. You see, I believe that that's a man's job, to never put a woman in a compromising position. Never, ever. Kimberly a wonderful friend, my sister in the faith, would never get in a car with her alone, would never do it, because I would never put a shadow of a doubt on her. You and I are supposed to be different. You and I are supposed to be above reproach. Well, that's just old-fashioned. That's just old school. No, no, no. We are called to be un unique. We are called to be holy. There were two young ladies that were baptized today. That has to mean something. That we are different. And I really resent people who would say, well, you're just old-fashioned and old school. No, you know what? You know why I'm so passionate about this? It's because I have helped pick up too many broken pots. Too many broken lives. Too many people that I care about deeply who include every one of you in this church. And we need to be armed today. We need to be ready because temptation is going to come and we need to be in a split second ready. And even before that, we need to make sure that we're not putting ourselves into positions of temptation. But David doesn't get it. You know what I bet David did as he was looking at that moment? I can't prove it from the scripture, but just knowing human nature, I bet he began to justify his actions. What do you think? How about these? Ever heard any of these? Oh, it's not that bad. It's not that big a deal. Just one night. Oh, I deserve it. Look at all the good that I've done. The king of Syria, he does it all the time. At least I'm not as bad as him. Everyone is. Well, I'm just not happy. 
I'm not getting what I need. Don't I deserve to be happy? I want it. No one will ever know. God will forgive. He understands. Have you heard any of those before? Have you ever said a few of them? Don't raise your hand. I don't think you were going to. It's not a big deal. Yes, it is. It's a huge deal. And we don't want what we deserve. And we aren't to be acting like everybody else. We're peculiar. So it doesn't really matter if the other kids or the co-workers or the rest of the world, however they act, your baptism, your confession of faith before the whole world means something. And yes, God will forgive. After a painful, gut-wrenching repentance and And just because he forgives doesn't mean that the situation that you've created is going to change. Sometimes you still have to live in the mess. And no, I don't think that he understands when we deliberately go into sin, somehow depending upon his grace. And perhaps the greatest self-delusion of all is, well, no one will find out. No one will ever know. How can we even think that? After so many newspaper articles, but even more important than that, what does the scripture say? Numbers 32, 23, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. There's a a scripture worthy of memorization. Be sure your sin will find you out. No doubt, no question, no pastor has ever misappropriated money from a church and thought they were going to be found out. No teenager at the crisis pregnancy ever, ever thought that she was going to be found out. Prisons are full of smart people who always said, I'm sure they said it a hundred times, I'm the one, I'm the clever one, I'm the smart guy. The prisons are absolutely full of them. And perhaps you are the clever one, and perhaps no one else will ever know, but you know what? You know. And when you accepted Christ, you became the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that sin that now resides in you is completely, totally incompatible with the Holy Spirit that seals your heart. Be sure your sin will find you out. The very reason that we have come into this place is to serve a God who is holy and omniscient and all-knowing. Believe it. How in the world could we delude ourselves that no one else will ever know? We know, and God knows. But David does not run from sin. He runs to it. In verse 3 it says, So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? That's a good servant right there. That's a good servant right there. Isn't that the wife of of Uriah, who at this moment, Uriah the Hittite is a better man than David. More loyal, more faithful. Isn't that, see, that's the kind of friends that you and I need. That's the kind of community of faith that we need to be a part of. No one needs this a friend that's talking about them at the steakhouse after church from anything they heard on, on the grapevine. No one needs that. But I do need my brothers and sisters, especially my brothers, to hold me accountable, to truly be my brothers and my friend, to come to me as I would come to you and say, listen, 
not from a position of superiority, but from one who struggles on the same level, I'm concerned about you, and I want the very best for you. That's what that servant was trying to do. Isn't that the wife, David? No one needs the steakhouse friend after church, but we desperately need a family of faith that will come and nurture and support and care and protect one another. Verse 4 says this, ignoring everything. He's laid around all day long. He's up at night. He's not out on the battlefield with his soldiers as they go to war. David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to lay with him, And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, Oh my, can't you almost hear? I am pregnant. And now the nightmare has really begun. And there's no waking up. It only gets worse. David later commits murder to cover up his sin. The baby that they've conceived dies. His sin does find him out. Nathan the prophet comes back in, points a long finger at him and says, you are the man. You are the guilty one. And although after a gut-wrenching and and, and painful repentance that you can read about in Psalm 51, yes, David is forgiven for his sin, but the reality of of the actions in his life caused great turmoil and chaos in his family for generations. And if you were going to ask David today, was it worth it? Was it everything that you thought it would be? Did you make it? Did it make you whole? Did it solve your problems? Did it fulfill your life? David, if you had it to do over again, would you have done things differently? Wouldn't you just like to wake up? Wouldn't you like to just sigh and know that you can live your life? Just say, thank God that it was just a dream. But David couldn't do it. Yet we can. We can. Because we can choose to consider the cost before the disaster, before the 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 breaking pot, we can learn from his life and we can choose life. The world outside those doors thinks that pastor's favorite words are no. No, you can't do this. No, we don't want you to enjoy life. But you know what? The truth is it couldn't be further from the truth. My deepest desire For every one of you here today, everyone listening on the radio today, is God's deepest yes. Yes to an abundant life. Yes to a life of good nights of rest and welcome mornings with a clear conscience. How much is that worth? Yes, may God pour his richest blessings into your life, unlimited by needless sin. Yes, enjoy the world, but remember that we are accountable. Yes, may God look down upon you in favor and give you your heart's desire. Yes, may your church, your family, and your God look upon you with pride throughout your entire life.
This is a pot I made. Let's just call it my life. Let me go over there, Tim. This is my life. It's not maybe much to look at, but I've worked hard getting it to this point. It doesn't look like much. It's not finished yet, but in the master's hands, I think he can make something beautiful out of it. It'll probably need some glaze and some more heat, you know, firing in the kiln. But afterwards, wouldn't it be incredible if God would use this vessel, the vessel of my life, to be a blessing to the heart of the king and to you, to this community, to this world. It doesn't look like much, but I think God can make something wondrous out of my life. So it wouldn't make any sense, would it, for me to take this hammer Before the crash, by the power of the Spirit, wouldn't it make more sense to put the hammer down and allow God to use these vessels that he's creating in us to be a blessing to our own heart, to our families, to our church, and even to the heart of the King. We can choose that this very moment. We can choose it at the next time that we run into temptation. We can choose life. Would you pray with me? Good and gracious Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word, to learn from the mistakes of those that have come before we pray that your spirit would speak loudly. We pray, Father, that you would prepare us for the next opportunity, the next time that we have at the crossroad of temptation, that your spirit would shine the lights, the warning lights, loud and clear, and that you would empower us. We know you will, Father. Empower us to choose life, to choose abundance. We love you, Lord. Take these vessels and make them something beautiful for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.